So imagine you're 21 years of age, very attractive young lady, your life ahead of you, you're lying in the Moncton Hospital, you're looking down, and you're missing your leg. As we heard Candace finish off the first part of, or the end, I guess you could say, of our first podcast, a whole range of questions going through her head. A lot of unknowns in the future. Candace, pick it up from there. Where did you go from there? Well, there was another side of things happening as well, right? So these were the things I was concerned about. And while my mom and dad, I'm sure, were thinking about all of these things also, there was also the question of what went wrong, right? Like, really, who's to blame? Like, this was, you know, my parents were angry, right? So I I won't get into that right now, but I do want to shine a light on the fact that those my concerns were very different than those of my my protectors my mother and father um i i wasn't so willing to or wanting to because i loved everyone i worked with so i didn't want to say oh they they should have done this or they it's their fault or you know that's kind of where my mentality was at and 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 to the point was more concerned about the things i could control what my legs would look like and how I would walk and, and whatnot. Um, Kirsten Simonson of um, Eastern Prosthetic Clinic is my prosthetist. And she was in Moncton. She came to see me. And I remember, actually, one thing that I would have left out was that there was an option to do a different amputation. Like, I lost half of my leg below the knee. But they gave this option, I think, of only taking the foot, not only, but taking the foot. And my mom and dad wanted as much as me to be left as possible. But it was Kirsten who came in and and explained how my prosthetic limbs would never look like my other foot if I kept my ankle. And it would be better to cut up, amputate up higher. Um, that was just the, one of the, 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 the beginning of all of the things that she, over the years, has, has helped me with. But um, she also arranged for uh, another young lady, Lise, to come in and show me her leg at the time. And Lise brought in a, a leg that was banged up. And, you know, and I remember thinking, oh, my God, like, oh, like, this is what I'm going to have. It was awful. I mean, it was scary. It was, it was terrifying. And I had to dig deep to say, you are not your leg and you're more than a missing limb and it's not going to be easy, but you could have been killed and you can't forget that, you know? And I really had to, really had to dig deep to find confidence and, and to, to put on a a smile some days. How did you do that? Well, I would credit my family, uh, my mother, you know, the way I was brought up. I was brought up to think highly of myself. I was brought up to value myself. So I think that definitely helped. Um, I also really took on with great commitment the role of the positive person. So you know how they say fake it till you make it? I mean, I ended up in therapy 20 years down the road, so I don't know if that's necessarily the best way, the best way to go about things. Um, but I, I did need a little help later on. But at that point in time, again, I just remember thinking, this is not the worst thing in the world. I could have been killed. 
I'm not going to ask why me because why anyone? Um, and and you know, I, uh, I, I my 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 dear friend uh, Vaden Summers, he came home. Uh, you would remember I brought him to my first meeting with you and Sylvie, who brought my boyfriend to a job interview. Um, he was a, a huge, played a huge role in supporting me to want to ski, snowboard, hike, you know, and, and, and get out there. So there were just a lot of people who, who were there for me and helped me be confident and um, keep my chin up. So tell us about your rehabilitation. How long it was, what all was involved. Oh, and- yeah, that was frustrating. Um, it's these are things I don't talk about often in my in my speeches, right? So, what I remember is it was in Moncton. I I I was working with Kier. So what happened was I I was going to UMB and um, but I remember I I didn't I wanted a female prostatus. So even though there were people in Fredericton, there was no women. And Kirsten is missing part of her foot. And I felt that she really understand it as a woman, what I would need and want. And so I would travel from Fredericton to Moncton for this. I didn't want to stay at the facility. Um, I was adamant that I would not do any of that. Um, and, and that I would just get back on my feet as fast as I possibly could. So it was kind of what I did. I mean, I, I went back to university in January, so I got hurt in August, and I was back at UMB in the winter. Um, I I got my first leg. You know, it was fiberglass pink, hot pink at the top with a yellow pipe and uh, a foot. It was awful, you know. But when you can't walk and someone gives you something and finally you don't need to use crutches anymore, you kind of don't care. <laughs> I just thought, okay, you know, thank God I don't need, I can use my hands, you know, I can walk and hold something. And um, there was another girl, Gilin. she had been in a car incident and she lost a leg and she was a, her and I were about the same age. And so we went through our rehabilitation together and yeah, it was, there was a, it was, it was, it was certainly tough and there was days where. I just didn't want to walk and I couldn't walk and it was blisters and it was, you know, what am I going to wear and, and all that kind of stuff. But, you know, I got, I got through it. How long did it take you to get through it? Oh, I'm still going through it. Still going through it? Yeah. Yeah. Every time you have to get a new leg, you're How going through legs? it. <laughs> like, I mean, when I, when I say that, I, you know, yes and no, but it's, it's, you don't just get through it and then it's, that's that, right? It's kind of like always figuring out what new things I want to do. And as I get older, things that aren't as easy to do anymore. Um, you know, what footwear works better for me now? Uh, I, and I have trouble with my neck and back because my gait, even though I don't limp, my gait's never going to be what it would be if I had two real legs. And my business is travel. So if I'm flying all over the place with luggage, airports, delays, it's hard on my body, right? So I'm always having to consider how to take care of myself and protect my safety doing my job while I'm actually talking to other people about doing the same thing. So uh, how many legs? I have, I think, five legs. So I have, um, I have my beautiful high heel leg, which is uh, shaped kind of like a Barbie foot, and... Um, I have a leg for flat shoes, which I'm wearing right now. 
and I have a leg for swimming that has a flipper. Um, I'm just joking. It doesn't. It just has a foot. <laughs> I always say that in my speeches to see if people are listening. The, the swimming leg floats, though. It's, uh, it doesn't have any yeah. metal in it. <laughs> I know. Isn't that awful? It's, uh, and then I've got my running leg. Yeah, I've got four or five. So, yeah, I've seen some of your yeah. uh, pictures of all your legs. I've always got a bunch of them. A bunch of them hanging yeah. around. Yeah. Yeah. So, were you able to complete university? Yes. You finished that? I did. Your mom I, and dad must have been pretty pleased. That they day. were. They were. Yeah. I didn't finish it on time. I, I had to go. Yeah. I, I did. Um, and I think I was going. I, si- I was in, still in school when I started working with you okay. and uh, with WorkSafe or with WHSCC because um, I was finishing courses at UMB and then going out to the high schools the odd time okay. in the beginning to um, to share my story. Yeah. So tell folks, Fred, that sure. aren't familiar with you about how you get into this whole uh, motivational process for health and safety. Okay. Um, well, it all started when you and Sylvie called me. That's the way I remember it. Mm-hmm. And uh, we went to, I met you guys at the Delta, um, Vaden and I, and, and, and we sat there and, and talked about, you said you needed someone with this story who was willing to talk about what happened to them. And that's how it started. And that was going to schools here in New Brunswick. And until I actually went to a school, I remember Pearly asking kids, because we used to talk about the rights. Mm -hmm. I mean, all the things I've been talking about, I've learned over the 24 years, right? All then, all I had then was the conveyor belt and a leg to show and to take off. You know, I didn't, I didn't know anything more than that really about safety beyond me. Right. And, um, I forget where we were, but it actually, I think it was in Grand Falls, and I, I used to always say, does anyone know anyone who got hurt at work? Just to see if the kids would put their hands up. And everyone put their hand up. And when I had asked, could someone keep their hand up if they'd like to share? No one kept their hand up. And in fact, I think the principal told me, you know, the, it's a sensitive topic because it was their friend that was killed at work on, on a potato break. Mm-hmm. And I remember thinking, okay, that was a moment where I thought, okay, yes, I've been sharing my story, and yes, maybe people need to hear this. I don't know. I didn't know, but a lot of other people that were hurt at work at that point in time. And then I remember thinking, if I'm in a classroom, if I'm in an auditorium with 200 kids under the age of 17, and they all know somebody who was killed at work, and it was their friend, you know, this is work that needs to be done. So we worked together, and then um, Paul Kells came into the picture. My uh, my friend, Paul, passed away almost two years ago now. Um, and Paul's son had been killed, as you know, at work. And he was starting a program called Passport to Safety that, if I'm correct, WHSCC were the first in the country to take it on and get that education into the schools. And I became their spokesperson after you, after I had worked with, with within the province of New Brunswick. Yeah. I, I remember going to a school and asking a question and everyone just seemed really bored with me. And I said, has anyone seen this presentation? And one guy goes, five times. <laughs> the teacher really loved me. So she kept reading me back. And I was like, okay, I think we need to move on here, you know. Um, and so uh, I, I became the spokesperson for Passport to Safety. And that's how I got exposure on a national platform. So Threads of Life, 
I opened up their conference in Toronto. We did commercials for uh, PSAs for Much Music. Um, you know, Paul had some great backing on a national level to get the message out there. And the next kind of jump for me was when I was invited to tour Belgium. And um, they weren't doing Passport to Safety. And I kind of realized that speaking opportunities were coming in but they didn't, they weren't conducive with my full-time role as an employee and spokesperson for Passport to Safety. So that's when I created my own company and um, started speaking globally on just behalf of myself. Before we get into that, let's go back sure. for a second, Paul yeah. Kells. Mm-hmm. Why don't you share his story with folks who may, have, may not have heard about Paul? Yeah. Uh, and what he meant to you. Yeah. He meant the world to me. Um Oh, I get emotional. Um, so when I met Paul, we met in Moncton, and um, we were trying to figure out if I was the right fit to do this job. And he told me, I picture you in limousines. I picture you flying. And I was like, and my mom said, oh, my gosh, you're going to meet Oprah. <laughs> if anybody knows her, I want to meet her. I haven't yet. Um, and uh, But I said to Paul, why are you doing this? And it's interesting because so much of what I learned from my work with him, and I won't jump ahead too far, but, you know, this is what I'm always talking. What's the why behind your what? Why is it so important that you're doing what you're doing safely? Why are you doing what you're doing? Period. And he showed me a photo of his son, and this was Sean Kells. Gorgeous. And uh, he was in a football jersey. And I said, well, you know, tell me. And he shared Sean's story with me. Sean went to work. And he did not come home. And uh, he was working, I think, for uh, for the father of one of his friends. And he was asked to pour a substance to decant it. And I'm not going to get into all the details. But a number of things could have been done differently that weren't. And Sean ended up being burnt after the chemicals exploded. And he was burned 95% of his body to the third degree and lost his life. And so Paul had a very, very real reason for, for doing the work he had, that he wanted to do and, and had already been involved in safe communities foundations and, and doing um, mm-hmm. work in Ontario. But here he was in Nova Scotia. So uh, I had one question for Paul after I heard that story. And I, I said, how? So you're, pres- you're proposing that you and I go all over the country And I share my story and you share your story. I said, my father, you know, hasn't yet. I mean, this was only a few years in, but how are you going to talk about losing your son? I'm running around with T-shirts that say some assembly required and and making foolish jokes. uh, And and still it's too hard for my parents. So I I really didn't know where Paul was going to find the strength to, to... to move along on this mission in, in the way that he intended to in sharing a story about losing his son. And he shared with me, this is why I firmly believe that sharing stories can change lives and save lives, uh, quickly a story about uh, it, how Sean's friend approached Paul at the uh, service, at the funeral service, and told Paul how Sean came to his rescue when he was being bullied in junior high. He had been bullied all through elementary and thought he would get a new lease on life at a new school. 
when things changed for grade seven or whatever the, the case was. And he was having a hard day struggling and Sean approached him and asked him if he could walk into class. And he thought that he was being set up. And because uh, a lot of the sports guys were the ones that were giving him grief. And then he walked into class and the next day Sean was at the locker again. And the next thing you know, you know, the change is made and the, they're just going to class together. Mm. And he said, you know, your son died not knowing he saved my life because I was prepared to, to end it. It was too much to think of six more years. And Paul thought, well, if that's the kind of man my son was in grade seven, I'm going to make sure that his legacy lives on. And that's how Paul began doing his work. And that is how really um, I went from New Brunswick to uh, all over the world because of beginning that, that journey with Paul on, on a national level. Tell us about some of the conferences you've spoken at. Mm-hmm. Oh, my goodness. Um, I've done, I started out my first big conference with, with uh, WHSCC was here. That was in St. John, I think. Uh, and, um, my first event with Paul was in Toronto at the convention center for threads of life, like 3000 people, I think. And, uh, I, uh, I remember I got this outfit. I was so proud of myself. It was like a spin on a business suit, but it had like a halter top kind of thing with the pants and a tie. And then the pictures back then they took, <laughs> it looked like I was at the, at the, at the, Podium with just a tile. <laughs> I mean, it was a great outfit if you could see it from head to toe, but it didn't read very well from behind them. Anyway, um, I have spoken at basically every industry conference that you could name in, in Canada and the United States. So Canadian Society of Safety Engineers, American Society of Safety Engineers. Um, there's one out in Banff, uh, the Enform conference that I still haven't spoken at that I really want to. Uh, I have spoken uh, in Luxembourg at the European Union. I've toured Belgium, Ireland, Australia. Um, I have shared the stage with Buzz Aldrin, Chris Hadfield. Um, I'm just trying to think. It's been wild. You know, it's been so what are the messages? <laughs> what are the messages when you're at a conference yeah. that you'd like to share? Mm. It depends on the conference. You know, Give I some example. Yeah, for sure. Uh, it, it's always it's always about empowerment, choices, understanding the power you have every day in the choices that you make, or the choices you don't make, in the things you choose to say or the things you choose not to say. So to me, it's not really about nuts and bolts. I always assume, you know, if I go to work for a company or a conference, that's not my role. My role is to say, I didn't think that this could happen to me, and it did. So first of all, the first step in not getting hurt is knowing that you can be. So recognize that what happened to me can happen to you. Know that it doesn't have to, that there are things that we can do to prevent these types of things from happening to us. You know what else I didn't think could happen to me? I didn't think I would be, you know, traveling around the world um, and doing this as a career. So good things can happen that you didn't expect as well. But I, I really believe that it's all about our state of mind and our focus. So let's take Sean, for example. Um, if you're running around and all you do is have your head down in your phone, liking and sharing, how are you going to see the kid at the locker? How are you going to see that person who needs your help? How are you going to see that pothole that we didn't mark with caution tape or orange cones yet? 
How are you going to see the person who's going through the yellow light instead of stopping, right? Like it's about being aware of your surroundings, trying to come from a place of gratitude um, because when we're grateful, we are present. When we are angry, we are not. And we are going to get angry and we we are going to face challenges, but it's really important that we find time for that and we don't um, allow the things that are troublesome for us to actually cause us more trouble by taking our focus off what we're doing and getting hurt while doing it. You know, because whatever problem it is you're worrying about while you're working, mm. if you're hurt, the problem didn't go away. You're just hurt now. Okay. Right. So I, 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 I love to talk about just, just positivity, you know, being positive and, and appreciative and, and grateful. Now you also do a work, a lot of work with companies, individual organizations mm-hmm. that will contact you, want you to go and talk to their workers. Tell us about some of those companies you work for. Yeah, that's great work. Um, you know, I work primarily, it's changing certainly, but I work with men often. I could be 2,500 uh, meters underground as I was a couple months ago up at uh, a mine in Sudbury. I could be sleeping for a few nights out on an oil rig, um, taking helicopter training. Uh, I could be, uh, you know, in Australia uh, on a railway track sharing my story there. So really boots on the ground, you know. I work a lot with oil and gas, pulp and paper, manufacturing, uh, mining. I'm doing a lot of work in the mining industry. And, you know, there. that's when I really talk about my dad, you know, and what how horrible it was for, for, for what they went through. My mom never went back to work. She tried. She couldn't stand the smell of the place. She couldn't stand the sight of anybody there. Um, you know, these things, nobody goes to work alone and nobody gets hurt alone. And, and one of the most common problems is the driving. People are driving in. I'll go in to go uh, to do a speech at 6 a.m. before the fellows are going on shift and they're passing me on the road. And I get in there, I think, you guys, I was on the road driving the speed limit. It's a snowstorm. Why? You know, are you really that excited to get here? I mean, it's great if you like your job, but I mean, you know, when you start the day off taking risks like that, that nobody's asking you to take, it just goes to show how autopilot has kicked in, complacency has kicked in, um, that we are, we're neglecting to recognize our power in making small choices to set ourselves up for success. And what does that mean? Setting the alarm for 10 minutes early so you have time to drive to work at a reasonable speed. Um, Setting the alarm for five minutes early so you have time to have your coffee or to do whatever it is that you need to do so you can set yourself in the right state of mind to arrive at a place where you can work safely. If you've got about... 70% of the people who are coming to work somewhere and they all rush to get there and they all pass people to get there. What does the day look like? So it's, it's, it's really about stripping it all back to safety and small choices and and choices that we make at home. So you're Candace Carnahan. You're standing in the front of a room, Mm -hmm. 200 miners, whatever, Mm -hmm. big burly guys. Mm -hmm. How do you reach them? How do you go about to reach them? Oh, it's all my charm. (laughs) Um, 
I'm real, right? I'm real. Like I'm, I, I think I, I think they can see their, their wives in me, their daughters, um, you know, and it's not, again, maybe it's, and maybe it's a woman who would reckon, who would identify with me or my mother, you know, it's, it's, it's to kind of really tr- appeal to people as humans, um, as opposed to minors or men or women or whatever the case may be. Um, and I, I don't, I always ask the companies I work with to keep the fact I'm missing a limb, uh, under wraps because I have a lot to say that leads up to removing my leg and, and showing people what it looks like to have a leg that you can take off. And, and I do that because I hear at airports, I hear all the time, um, you know, you wouldn't know you have a fake leg. You don't look like you have a fake leg. You don't look like somebody who got hurt at work. Nobody looks like somebody who got hurt at work. Nobody looks like somebody who's going to get hurt at work, but it's happening. And so I like to kind of do the reveal because first of all, it shows people not to make assumptions that just because someone looks a certain way doesn't mean they don't have struggles. Doesn't mean that they're not contending with something that, 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 that isn't maybe so obvious. And, and also to the point I can take off my limb and I can show you how I got hurt. But what about somebody who's dealing with substance abuse? What about somebody whose wife just cheated on them? What about somebody whose kids are into drugs? What about somebody whose job might not be there for them tomorrow or they're dealing with mental health issues, right? These are not things you can take off and show, but they're, they're injuries. They're painful. They can be hazardous. They can cause problems and, and, and they need to be recognized just as much as physical injuries do. So one last question before we take our break. Yeah. When you take your leg off, mm-hmm. what's the reaction you get? <gasps> you know, quiet. And then people look up to try to look down. And um, and then I usually make a bad joke uh, because I... I, 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 you know, things, things are, that's a serious thing. And I've had people pass out. I've had people get really emotional and that's all absolutely not fine, but I know I don't want someone to pass out, but I also do like to switch gears quickly. Um, cause I don't believe people feel empowered when they're sad. I don't feel, I, I don't, the point isn't to debilitate somebody with a shocking, it's just to show you didn't expect it, guess what? I don't look like someone who got hurt, neither do you, but you could be. So let's move on now and, and talk about how we can prevent these things from happening. You know, my story is not a bad news story because I survived. So let's take a break here, folks. We'll be back in a moment with more of the inspirational side of Ken Skarnick. 